This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM. And this is going to be quite an interesting show. Lots of stuff happening in the tech world. Um, next week is some is a little event in Cape Town called AfricaCom. Today is Google Day. So the tech world is humming, lots of things happening, lots of changes coming. Heard recently that Amazon Web Services are opening up a server in Cape Town, which means that it will be the first African actual hardware um, investment that AWS have made, Amazon have made in the continent. Interestingly, and a lot of people don't know this, Amazon EC2, which is one of their web platforms, was designed and built right here in Cape Town by engineers at the Amazon Web Services office in Cape Town. So we may not have Amazon the retailer in South Africa, but we seriously do have Amazon the company in South Africa, and they're doing huge work around offering their web services and their online cloud services to South African and African countries. And I think it'll be a big deal when South Africa is officially part of the Amazon Web Services global network. And it's it makes it sounds like just another data center in the cloud, but it has some really fundamental issues. More and more software discussion for another day and we'll definitely get onto it. But more and more companies, more and more platforms are being loaded into these massive servers in the cloud. No longer are people putting little servers in their boot or the back of the yard or the back of the, the office or in the basement in the case of big, you know, server installations at major corporations. All that mechanical machinery is being outsourced to a very simple platform in the cloud. No one ever sees it. As long as you've got decent connectivity, it works. It works from anywhere. And there are a lot of security and disaster recovery issues, and we'll get to that. That leads me perfectly into what is going on with Joburg right now. A lot of these things are taken care of within the platform. So all these ba- these data centers are either tier one or tier two, which means they've got multiple redundancies on power, multiple redundancies on connectivity. So it's not just one cable in, one cable out. There are multiple cables. One fails, another one picks up, and they've got more than enough capacity to keep going 99.99999% of the time. At the same time, they've got massive built-in security, massive security across all sorts of platforms. You can use your own. You can buy services from them, but they do have inherent security and safety If, for example, the data center falls into the sea, it immediately replicates, backs up without any delay to another data center. So the whole world of computing has changed. There's no longer a a, a box on the floor. It's no longer a computer in the house or the building. It's essentially a device with a screen, keyboard, and a little bit of computing power connecting to massive and capable and hugely secure and redundant and smart data centers in the cloud. You, generally, they, they need to be in the, in the territory that you're at. And the benefit of having an AWS server sitting in Cape Town is that the time for the data to get from a Johannesburg request to a Cape Town request is a couple of milliseconds, if, if that, sometimes even faster. But when those those data centers sit in Ireland, as they do now, it takes minimum 90 to 180 milliseconds, quarter of a second, before any information asked for is received or sent from, you know, a South African 
point of view, apart from all the other issues of data, sovereignty and where your data lies and who keeps control of it and all that type of stuff, which is a whole nother political issue, but and a real one because banks um, and governments, I'm not sure, are keen to go and put all your data, all their people's data in some foreign country's data center, no matter how secure they promised it may be. You know, it's out of your control. You can't exactly hop on a plane and go and see where your data is. Well, you can, except it's a, it takes a couple of hours to get there. So before we go on with where this is all leading, um, I have just been notified we've got to have a quick break for an advert. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And where I was going with this whole cloud thing and everything to do with the cloud and security is that Johannesburg's website and e-services are still down. More than 10 days after they were breached, hacked, ransomware, who knows exactly the level um, of this, this particular attack was because they haven't actually been very communicative around it other than to say that no personal data has been compromised and um, they are working on recovering with global experts. Well, I should hope so, because no major city, no city, even a minor city, can operate in this day and age without having full access to its e-services. And, I mean, this affects the billing. It affects you getting your invoice. It affects absolutely everything to do with the operation of a major multi-billion rand city such as Johannesburg. And it just highlights how absolutely critical the whole technology space is to anything. I mean, from a small business, just think about your own little business, your own big business. What happens if you suddenly have no access to your information systems uh, for an extended period of time? We all know what happens when uh, um, ESCOM decides to <coughs> turn out the lights and we have to Everyone sits around, people go home. It's almost impossible to work without your email, without access to your accounting records, without access to your sales system. However, whatever process you have in your business, it is pretty much impossible to do unless you have operational and, and up and running systems. And here you've got a major city. People are probably not getting paid. Suppliers are taking strain. It happened over month end. So it's just a major, major issue for the entire operation of Johannesburg Inc. And it's going to have massive impact and ripple effects. And this is again <clears throat> where it is critical that the technology stack that any organization has is as up-to-date and as secured as possible. And the growth of cloud services is going to, I think, add a new dimension to this because all the heavy lifting around security, all the heavy lifting, lifting around ransomware attacks, etc. Not that they can't still happen on a cloud-based service. They can. But the, the layers of built-in um, stuff is significantly bigger and better, and it should definitely assist in keeping these various platforms safe. So I'll keep you up to date when these systems come back online, but for the moment, the recommendation is pay last month's bill on the same date as you paid last month, just to make sure that you keep um, ahead of the curve, because the last thing you need is to be disconnected, though probably the electronic disconnection um, uh, notices are not going out either. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's a real mess, but pay your bills um, as before. And just wait and see when Johannesburg finally gets all their systems and everything up and running. It's, it's a massive task. And uh, according to what I've understood, they had to <coughs> essentially shut everything down, wipe it out, restore from a backup, and then get everything back online. But it's a process, and it's going to take a huge, huge, huge amount of time. Now, more interestingly, um, 
Today, as I mentioned, is Google Day, and Google, I've announced quite a few um, very, very interesting, you know, things. And the first and most important thing that they've announced as of this morning is that they're going to be offering free Google-supported access to high-quality Wi-Fi at 109 sites in the Cape Flats. I'm sure that's just the beginning of a, a new initiative. Unfortunately, I was not able to attend the press conference this morning. But um, they they definitely are going to be rolling this out across 100 locations across Langa, Kayalicha, Guguletu, Delft, Elsie's River, Philippi, and a whole lot more. And these areas have not had. There's been a Chwane and some other initiatives in the, South Af- in the Johannesburg area. I call it South Africa like Cape Town's not South Africa. Well, in some respects, it's not South Africa, but it's Cape Town. Um, but bringing this level of, of connectivity, which is going to be entirely free, entirely, I think there are certain log-ons and rules in terms of usage, but that's just good practice. But the difference is that it will bring connectivity to an area that has been traditionally enormously underserved. And just like a city cannot live without connectivity, how do you do your banking? How do you communicate with friends and family? How do you apply for a job? It's just the list of things that we do through email, through connectivity, through whatever the case may be, is just endless. And mobile has done a huge job with regard to making it possible. But mobile data in and of itself is not cheap. It's, uh, it, it becomes a real challenge in certainly disadvantaged areas and not always um, easily available. You know, you need the right equipment. So if you don't have a smartphone, it's, it's tough. But a, a communal laptop or computer can do a world of good, especially if it has access to the Internet. So good on Google. They've also uh, announced further um, investment in the nonprofit organizations across Africa, of which apparently 10 of them are from South Africa, where they've been investing and helping them create platforms, software, whatever else that needs to be done to generate new new stuff and new apps and new product in the South African context, and they're continuing to do with that. They also announced a really interesting thing. This is something that, again, speaks to the country we live in. Perhaps, you know, you're used to your iPhone and your Samsung and your smartphone running full versions of, of Android, full versions of Apple, you know, with all the bells and whistles that go with that. And a gig of data is, is, is not something that you would really worry about spending in two minutes flat. But <clears throat> for many people using really low end phones or old phones, you need a much lighter setup, which uses far less data. And it's been around for a while called Google Go. But they've extended that. They've, what they announced is that they've extended it um, in many respects. The, the voice messenger is now fully integrated, so you can actually talk to Google Go. And they've brought Google Go, which uses far less memory, so it's much nippier on older and, and simpler phones. It also uses far less data. In generally, it doesn't download high-quality high videos on YouTube, you know, that sort of stuff. It, even Facebook. You know, if you've got a high-end phone using Facebook, connecting to a LTE network that's fast, all videos get downloaded in HD, whether you want them or not. You can change it in the settings, but it downloads them in HD. So if I'm going from one and a half mega uh, a video, it probably jumps to 10 to 15 mega a video. And uh, just have a look at how many videos you watch a day, and that can actually add up to a lot a lot of data being used. So Google Go is quite an interesting initiative. It's only available on certain phones right now. Um, but I think it will be available on more and more less expensive phones. And it definitely brings 
um, a whole lot of benefits to those that don't want to waste too much money on data but still want all the benefits of being connected and being uh, part of the, the sort of digital ecosystem with the Facebooks and the WhatsApps and everything else that goes along with it. So a lot more was announced as well, a lot of new products that they're coming out with, but we'll go into more detail um, some other time. What I also wanted to talk about before we get into Tech Talk Cafe, where I'm talking about an interesting uh, development within the country. It is not specifically technology related, but it definitely relates to the growth of industry and an industry, the motoring industry, which is very technology based, you know, with all the electric cars and whatnot coming. The last thing I want to just mention in terms of the news is that Nedbank have also decided to launch a light version of their, their app because more and more people are trying to um, connect. So they've launched something called, if you're a Nedbank um, user, they've launched something called mobile, the money app light, which has pretty much all the functionality of its major mobile banking app. But what it does do, it just brings um, that capacity to run on, on less powerful um, phones in a much more uh, data intensive way. It's easier to download. It's quicker to install. And in use, it has all the functionality of NetBank mobile, of NetBank banking, but it certainly keeps the cost down, number one. And number two, it's just much easier to use. I haven't played with it yet. I uh, only found about this yesterday, but if you're a Ned, NetBank uh, customer, have a look at it. It might actually be better for you rather than having their full function because most of us just use the app for a few things and it might just save you lots of time, effort and money. So on that note, we're going to take another quick break and then I'm coming back with our story around what's happening with Ford. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. <coughs> well, welcome back and announced very interestingly, this week, as part of the Tech Talk Cafe, I was trying my best to get one of the spokesmen from the Ford Motor Company uh, on, on, on the line or in the studio to discuss a really important thing that has happened in Silverton. It was launched as of Monday. Was it Monday or Tuesday? I, I, I completely and utterly lose track of the days these days. They fly by too fast. Always seems to be the sort of compression of time towards the end of the year where things just get faster and faster, and then everyone goes on holiday, which... It's <laughs> always quite something. But anyway, Ford Motor Company essentially have partnered with the government and they've launched the Chwane Automotive Special Economic Zone. Now, as I said, this is not truly a technology story, but it has massive implications for technology within the automotive space. And there's just no question, as a quick segue, that the motoring industry has very quickly become essentially the mobility industries. A lot of confusion around that. Mobility is always referred to mobile phones, and that is mobile. And, you know, disconnecting the the the, the phone from the wire that connected to the wall transformed the world, changed the way that we communicated. They developed into mobile computers in your hand with capabilities, power, memory, and processes in league of fancy desktop computers. So all sorts of stuff became available and possible to do on a mobile device. And cars are a somewhat similar sort of thing going forward. They were petrol-based. They all have four wheels. Most of them have steering wheels. Some have spanners, but won't go there. But Essentially, a, the car for the last hundred years hasn't really fundamentally changed much. And going forward, the basic concept of a, of a, of a transport machine, a vehicle, something will not change 
that much either. They'll still have four wheels. They may or may not have a steering wheel. Um, and that's the whole autonomous car, you know, discussion. But the whole nature and style of how we drive, where we drive, what we drive, and what powers what we drive is changing dramatically. Now, what Ford have done, they are manufacturing in their, their plant a whole range of, of vehicles that they export to the whole world and to, um, and, and obviously for the South African market in Africa. And what they've done is they've set up a special automotive economic zone right next to their plant. And it's a massive investment in the automotive industry. So this, 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 um, automotive plant or this area will house a whole lot of various um, suppliers to Ford and to the motor industry in general. And a lot of them will be in the technology space, all the subsystems, platforms, motors, and everything else that needs to be done. Um, the little bit of discussion that I've been able to have with the, with the various people from Ford, they've confirmed that it is not simply just to supply parts for the Ford plant, which has expanded and done extremely well over the last little while within that area. But essentially... Ford are putting a lot of effort, a lot of money into it. The government's making certain benefits and and allowances available to really make this whole thing happen. And in this day and age of so much bad news, you know, lack of growth here and losses there and everything, in many respects, the the motor industry has been a really well-run beacon of commercial interest for both the government and the private sector. BMW have started making their X3 exclusively in South Africa, exporting them all over the world. They've stopped making the 3 Series, um, and they're now importing those from other places in the world. Ford have done the same thing. That certain cars are made all over the world, in Europe, in India, imported here. But other cars, mostly the Buckies, are made here and exported, both left and right-hand drive made at the same time, on the same production line, and exported across the world. One, that's great kudos to the quality of, of the South African workmanship and the entire supply chain that surrounds these plants. Because think about it, if you're talking about a car with 70 to 80% local content, that means really important stuff like engines, electronic components, Incredible amount of, of, of stuff being built, generated, created and supplied within the South African context. And this economic zone, this automotive park will be doing or adding to the whole structure of all of this and growing this, um, supply chain, this ecosystem of, um, the various parts that are needed in the automotive industry. So I think it's a huge, huge step in the right direction and it brings a real positivity to the whole thing. And it just shows that when public and private partnerships work together, we can actually achieve enormous amounts of, of good and create industries that employ a ton of people and more than just employ people, train people to a really high international level. I mean, building a car that can drive on the roads in America, in Europe, um, is not trivial. The tests, the quality, Everything to do with that are huge. It, it certainly meets and matches the standards of anything else that's being done anywhere. And that goes down to the components. So the more we can grow that industry, the more we can export. export. Um, this is like a wish list of, of good news. Hopefully, as that export grows, uh, our economy grows, uh, and it generally adds enormous value. But what is fascinating is that the planning over the next 10 years from 
all the automotive companies, including Ford, is very much towards an electric future. It's being driven, obviously, by what is happening uh, globally. I mean, in some countries, they will be banning all uh, fuel engines in city centers, definitely diesel, by 2030. I mean, that is literally 10 years away. Um, Ford, uh, VW, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, all the major, major manufacturers are investing billions of dollars in R&D in both batteries, motors, and various aspects of electric cars. And the whole nature of mobility has also changed considerably. What we're finding is that people, I mean, they are now uh, ride-sharing parks in most places around America. In other words, in fact, I read a really interesting article. It's become so ubiquitous that they've now got at LAX airport in the USA, they've got a special shuttle that goes from the airport terminal to the ride-sharing park where you can get picked up. It got so busy and so many cars were pulling up and so many things were happening in that space that they banned these cars from the terminal themselves. But now people are waiting 15 to 25 minutes to get an Uber or a Lyft or whatever it is that they get at these ride-sharing parks. So they've moved the issue out and from a really slick, convenient thing, it's suddenly become... <laughs> Another challenge, but but that's the wonder of technology. In a in a busy city, the whole nature and style of how we drive, where we drive, what we drive, and and how we get from point A to point B is changing dramatically. And the motor industry in South Africa is playing a really big role. There's going to be a massive proliferation of charging stations that have just been announced at all the charging stations have just been announced at all the various uh, airports. They should go live very soon. It'll be very interesting to try to get all the taxis and Ubers out of those spots, but uh, that's a challenge for another day. But the fact is that charging stations are starting to pop up across the country. The main end routes are starting to get charging stations at specific routes. And allied to all that, the, the cars pretty much high-end cars today, you know, from Jaguar, from Mercedes, from um, VW, and from um, all, the manu- all the major manufacturers, are starting to get ranges that are in the three to 500-kilometer range. Now, if you think about it, it doesn't sound like a whole whole lot, but how often do you fill up your car? I know that I don't do 500Ks in a week, hardly. So I wouldn't actually need to charge a um, i3 more than once a week or once and a half a week. Maybe twice a week would give me more than sufficient charge to do all the driving that I do immediately. Only if I decided to take a quick trip to Pretoria would I need to, you know, park it somewhere, charge it on my trip back. But the communications, the technologies involved also make that really, really smart. Um, as I said, today, the, all the charging stations are linked via the, the, the online platforms. They're now starting to become linked to the cars themselves. So the car knows where the next charging station is. That links to the map in the car. So when you you put in where you want to go, it calculates how far you got to go, how fast you generally drive, and real-time, dynamically online will will work out where you need to charge and when you need to charge and adjust your route accordingly. So without even thinking about it, your car will take you via a charging station and plug you in, and you'll have to obviously plug yourself in for 20 minutes, get enough charge, it'll tell you exactly how long you need and take you to your destination and vice versa. So all the thinking around how and what you do is going to change quite dramatically and 
all this information will be stored, managed, handled, and dealt with in the various cloud platforms that exist. And all the components that are, are being prepared for this new technological future, a good chunk of them, some of the high-tech stuff is still made in China and in other places around the world. But more and more we are going to see um, my Siri listening to what I'm saying, which is quite scary, and trying to answer me on the radio. The, the beauty of technology, more and more we're going to see the high-tech components of cars, automotives, transport, the various styles and nature of transport being made right here at the various plants like the, the new one in Silverton. So a really massive step forward for the industry. We're going to see, I hope, huge growth in the export of world-class vehicles from the various manufacturers and the ecosystem of what is possible in South Africa from both the development and the production of components within the structures of this technological revolution that we're going in. Because motors, yes, a lot of motors are made in South Africa. That's the normal combustion engine, and you've got exhausts and all the bits and pieces that go into that. But that supply chain is going to be massively disrupted over the next three to four years, and I mean, that's how short it is, to take into account. I mean, in places like Ghana, they've launched little um, VW electric cars. They're definitely coming to South Africa in the nearish, nearish future. And the whole ecosystem and structure, the big oil companies, the shells of this world, are investing in um, charging stations. So we're going to see go shell and just go light up your car type of advert in a, in a few minutes. And it's just such a strange sort of consideration. But very quickly, it'll become just part of the way it is. As long as our dear friends at ESCOM, who, as you heard, are keeping load shedding a real possibility for the moment, um, as long as they keep their capacity going. And that in itself changes a whole lot of things. There's no question that the electric transport um, revolution is going to change a lot of what we do in terms of cars. And that is coming, according to all the manufacturers, something that I've discussed with all of them over the, over the last little while, is coming to South Africa, not maybe at the scale and the sort of size that we're going to see in the more um, evolved economies like Europe and America, but certainly in the urban context, in Johannesburg, in Pretoria, in Cape Town, in Durban, in the major metros, we're going to see a major shift away from combustion engines to electric and apart from that we're also going to see a major shift towards combined driving in other words some form of of group driving why do you want a car that simply sits in a garage you get up in the morning you drive this expensive and complicated lunk of metal to your office park it in a garage for eight hours and get back in and drive it home again convenient but extremely wasteful of your money your time and lots of other things so Expect to see a lot of mobility changes coming that are going to create areas or zones of, of much more sustainable transport, buses, rail, light, um, light rail, and all sorts of other the platforms. Hopefully that comes to our, 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 our cities sooner than later because the traffic is definitely not getting better. But then again, technology is playing its part. Smart um, traffic lights combined to traffic monitoring platforms across the city, um, optimizing and monitoring what's going on, cars that are linked to these platforms via the mapping system, which is already happening. If you use Waze, if you use Google, 
They are picking up data from every Wazen Google user, even Google users who are not using anything. If your phone is on and, 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 and connected to the Internet, um, it is definitely uploading positional speed and other data which can be used by the various mapping um, platforms to create the necessary information that you need in order to navigate around all this nonsense. And as the scale of that increases and as the cars become linked directly to those various platforms, you're going to find that a level of efficiency, if it's five minutes or 20 minutes, I mean, I read an interesting stat a little while ago that if the if the current growth of motor vehicles and everything on the roads in South Africa that in Johannesburg continue the way they have been, that in the space of five to ten years, the average speed of getting around Johannesburg will drop down to about 15 kilometers an hour. Now, just think about that and understand how fundamentally problematic that is. I just drove from Bryanston to the high offices. It was around about 20 k's, 25 k's on the highway. Um, it took me 20 minutes. Imagine if that took me uh, one hour, 20 minutes. I mean, my day would be completely different. It would be a major nightmare to do such a thing, to go shopping, to go to a meeting, to travel anywhere. It would take you between three to five times longer than it takes you right now, simply because of the sheer congestion on the roads. So the growth of technology within the automotive space, the change in how we're going to have to travel. Unfortunately, bicycles are not the thing. Take Amsterdam, there are more bicycles than people. Um, and, and it's certainly become a quick, easy way to get around, even though there are bicycle traffic jams now in certain areas. But... It's not an, not something that I believe will come to the distances and the scale that we have in a city like Johannesburg. But there certainly are other ways of getting around. They're experimenting with them. They've had all these little scooter things floating about. Apparently they are being banned in cities across the world. Singapore have banned the little various uh, lime scooters. And by the end of this month, they must be all off the roads. Otherwise, you get fined and arrested. So a lot of solutions create problems. But I think that the coordinated structuring of transport and mobility with the major players such as Ford, such as the big uh, automotive companies involved, because this is their business. Without cars, you know, Ford, BMW, Mercedes don't exist. So they need to evolve with the changing nature of the cities we live in, with the changing nature of the technologies we all use. Who would have thought 10 years ago Uber would become this smart? Everybody uses Uber to go out on a Saturday night. Why bother? Why not? Why not go out, enjoy yourself, have a few extra drinks and not worry about being stopped at a roadblock and breathalyzed on your way home or just the sheer danger of driving drunk. So the technologies have changed a whole lot of things around that and they're going to continue to do so. I don't believe Uber is the end story in the whole e-mobility thing and ride sharing story. I think there's a lot more to come in that space. But Autonomous vehicles, smart vehicles, electric vehicles, and everything that goes around that is definitely something that is going to be just become part of the background within the next three to five years. And we're going to see the growth of the various manufacturing plants in South Africa, ultimately making fully electric vehicles. None of them have committed to any information around that yet, but I can't see them not getting involved 
on that level in the nearest future. In the next two to five years, we're going to get a locally built Ford Bucky with an electric motor, much to the horror of all our mates in Bloemfontein who like V6s as an entry-level uh, motor vehicle. But anyway, on that note, we're now going to take a quick broke, break for our sponsors, and I'll be back with uh, a little bit of an interesting chat around computational photography and the latest iPhone 11 Pro. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And um, a little bit dry after that long discussion around mobility cars, special economic zones, and and the investments that international companies are making. In fact, the president of Ford Global was here, along with Soror Ramaphosa, to make this announcement. So it's significant. It has significant impact on an industry that is a massive employer within the context of the country and will be one of those that are going to help drive us into the technological future in a, in a huge way because it's practical, it's usable. Everybody sort of assumes the systems and platforms in cars just work. And for many reasons, the safety reasons, they have to be perhaps a touch behind the curve because you cannot have systems that bring, you know, potentially could cause accidents and loss of life. So very interesting space from a technology point of view, the automotive industry. But anyway, moving on to an, my other sort of major industry that I always follow, and that's mobility and mobile phones. And for the last Three, four weeks since the launch of the iPhone 11, I've been using a combination of iPhone 11s, iPhone 11 Pros, and iPhone 11 Pro Maxes in my various travels and, and wanderings around. And I've really, you know, reached a couple of very, very interesting conclusions. Obviously, I will get, um, I get a lot of requests about from people, should we upgrade? Is this the story? You know, what should we do? And globally, it has been proving very interesting, um, very interestingly, that the iPhone 11 series has really taken off and, and sold in far greater numbers than Apple actually even um, expected. And, and the main reason for this, now let's just get the, the iPhone 11 as a product you know, the basics out of the way. It looks very much the same as the iPhone 11S from, uh, 10S from last year and the iPhone XR, which was the aluminium bodied <coughs> entry level. Uh, entry level is a difficult term to use with, with iPhones, but the entry level, um, uh, brand new up to date Apple device on the market. The new range consists of the iPhone 11, which replaces the XR adds another camera, uh, the latest processor, and all the other bits and pieces internally that, that really bring you know, the iPhone fully up to date. And the new range, which is now extended to headphones, they've got the, their new Pro earbuds, which should be on sale in South Africa in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about those some other time. But right now, the new iPhone 11 Pro, which is the 5.8-inch, and iPhone 11 Pro Max, which is the 6.5-inch device, are the flagship devices. And the focus around the this construction, very similar to the previous one, 
lying on their backs, you'd absolutely notice no difference between the old phones and the new phones. However, turn them over, and from the, the iPhone 11 to the iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max, you will notice that there's been bumps that have grown on the back. Now, there's a whole meme going around about some people who can't, who are allergic to circles and can't see them because they've made a very prominent statement. They've been compared to Philips uh, electric shavers, so a lot of fun being had. But the simple fact is, what Apple have done is on all their new 2019 models, they've added an extra camera. Um, in the case of the iPhone 11, they've added a long-range camera. And in the case of the iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max, they've added a combination of three cameras, including a long-distance and a medium-distance and a close lens. And the magic that has happened in that space is is pretty significant. And I believe this is the reason why the new phones are doing so well. In my experience, and I'll say it right up front, Apple were losing the plot when it came to fancy smartphone cameras. The latest generation of Samsungs from the Galaxy S10 to the Note 10, um, the Huawei P30 and Mate 30 had cameras that far outstripped what Apple were doing in the iPhone XS range and prior. They were better at zooming. They were far better at low light. Google internationally were doing some stuff with their low light computational photography that really was insane on their Pixel phones. So Apple really needed to bring the iPhone 11 range into contention in this space, and they've done so. Simply put, they've matched and in some cases outmatched whatever um, Android phones have done in this space, and without question, they are now rivaling some of the major cameras on the market that you can you can lay your hands on. It's it's quite quite astonishing what is possible from a cell phone camera. So there are three cameras on the rear, and some, but that there are they've upgraded the lenses, they've upgraded the sensors. So technically, the cameras are better than last year's cameras. However, that is not where the magic lies. The magic lies in what is known as computational photography. So. The, br- the latest processor, the A13 Bionic processor, which incorporates massive amounts of memory as well as pro- sheer number crunching ability and an AI, a difficult word to use, but an artificial intelligence machine learning subsystem which can do computations in certain areas far faster than a basic processor have moved leaks leaps and bounds ahead of last year's A12 processor. And what that's allowed Apple to do is to do stuff in the background. And this is where the Apple magic honestly comes to the fore. Um, the, the photo taking or movie taking experience on Android phones is good. It's excellent in mo- for the most part. Um, and the results, as I said, on the new Samsung devices and the new Huawei devices and a couple other out there is nothing short of spectacular. You can take incredible low-level pictures in, in bad lighting conditions. You can zoom in. You can do incredibly high-quality videos, slow motion. The effects and the quality is just pretty spectacular. But what Apple does that the other guys have always struggled with is make it incredibly simple for the average user. So you pick up your phone, no matter what the lighting conditions are, right into the sun, dark rooms, mixed bright and dark, just press the, the shutter, open the camera app, press the shutter, and the Apple iPhone will will create um, a picture that 99.9% of the time is spectacular. Dark, light, in between, both combined, straight into the sun. The quality of the photos that have been coming out of the iPhone range with 
a nod to the pro range having the three cameras and definitely being better than than the other the iPhone 11 by a, a fairly significant amount but again the prices are pretty much double the fact is that the whole AI subsystem and the the A13 chip creates and obviously the software that they've written creates and I, I'm not going to go into all the various technical stuff there's tons of it but essentially whatever you do both both portrait mode video mode slow mo mode pa- panoramic wide angle mode you can seamlessly switch between the three cameras on the rear and better than pretty any other phone that I've used. Doing so doesn't change the quality of the picture. So all three lenses work seamlessly together to give you the best picture. And the software, even if you're using a telephoto lens, the software uses the other camera lenses and the information that's being gleaned from there to build a picture in the software that is absolutely spectacular. The contrasts are good. The colors are really accurate. The sharpness and detail is spectacular. And if you've uploaded if you've upgraded to the latest version 13.2 OS, which I highly recommend you do, killed a whole lot of bugs and brought even greater low-level photography. The only time you notice that the computer internally is working hard is sometimes you press the camera shutter and you wait and it takes a split second before the picture pops up in preview. And that is when all the magic is happening. Normally when you do it, it's instant. As you push the camera, the picture pops up. Try it in low light or challenging light on the new iPhones and um, the the picture just takes a split second or half a second or a second even to generate internally in the software and then render on your screen. Now, I'll wrap this up in a few minutes. I've just been told once again we have to have a break to our sponsors who help pay the bills here and keep us all uh, informed. So listen on. I'll just wrap up the review straight after this, and then I need to mention one last little app thing. So stay tuned, and you'll find out all about what's going on. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And let's just wrap up the whole um, iPhone 11 story. Simply put, and I mean, it it almost goes without saying, these are the best phones that Apple have produced to date. But the phone is actually much more, the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of all the various parts. Yes, the camera is spectacular. It is potentially the best smartphone camera on the market right now. Um, it's very competitive with the Samsung and Huawei devices. Not to say that they're in any way shabby. They're excellent. And for you Android users out there, those are, are solid and amazing choices. But what Apple does is put it all together in a seamless, easy-to-use, simple package, along with the the software iOS 13, that just simply does deliver. There's just no question that from an overall perspective, the polish of the apps, the ease of use, the consistency of the operating system across everything that you do is pretty much spectacular and works extremely well. So if you're an Apple fan and if you're looking at um, upgrading, the new iPhone 11 pricing has dropped slightly from last year, considering where the Rand has gone. It's not a bad thing. And it represents pretty good value in the space. At that price point, there are not many better phones overall. Obviously, the price depends on which memory configuration you get. The screen is not as good as the Pro. The camera is not as good as the Pro. But the rest of the technical stuff, the operating system and the speed of the process and everything else that goes on within the device certainly makes it a very compelling upgrade from previous generation iPhones. 
potentially not from the old iPhone XR. It's only one year in that space, though the camera is that much better. It's possibly worth considering. But if you've got an iPhone XR, perhaps wait for the iPhone 12. But the iPhone 11 is a great, great device to upgrade from anything below the iPhone XR. If you really want to go all the way to the top and it comes at a cost. The iPhone 11 Pros start at 21,000 Rand and move up from there depending on your memory configuration. So they're an enormously expensive device. And the packages are, are pretty decent, but they're premium and they're expensive. And you're always going to use more data than you expect. So even if you pay 899 for a package, you're going to end up spending more on data. But simply put, if photography and the ability of the camera um, is key, this is a worthwhile upgrade from any iPhone going previously. There's just no doubt that this takes photography on us on a smartphone to the next level. It is unbelievably smooth, fast for everything else that you can think of. It doesn't have 5G as yet. That's apparently coming next year. Not that we have much 5G or any, for that matter, really commercially in the mobile space in South Africa. Again, that's coming sometime towards the end of next year. And in general, it is an excellent upgrade for anything uh, below the iPhone XS. But the camera, if that's a key thing for you, is worth the upgrade even from the iPhone XS. So if you're in the two-year upgrade cycle because of the contract, you are missing out with a, a spectacular camera. But iOS 13 plays beautifully on the on the older last year's models, iPhones, and it's still a great experience. But the screen is better. The camera is significantly better than it was in the prior generations. And it's just overall an, an incredibly nice phone to use and very, 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 very high quality, obviously at a price. But I hope that helps uh, answer some of the questions that I've been getting around upgrading or not upgrading your iPhone. So simply put, if you've got anything older, iPhone 10 and be before, it's a well worth, it's a great upgrade. iPhone, the iPhone 10s, maybe not so much. You can maybe live with it for a year, but essentially, it's very important to know that these have really caught up to everything on the market, and it's an exceptional, exceptional, exceptional device. On that note, I've just got one quick mention, and I just want to you know, eat a little bit of my time. I'm being waved out of the studio gracefully by Craig, our controller here. But um, I just want to mention that um, Instagram and and Facebook are doing a lot of interesting stuff around the whole issue of of body um, you know, body image, especially amongst younger people. There's been a real problem around how everyone's Instagrams are perfect, everyone's Facebooks are perfect, and, and it creates a lot of tension amongst younger users. So all beauty products, all Photoshopped stuff of that league is being removed from the various platforms, both Instagram and Facebook. And you won't see adverts for it. You won't see these heavily Photoshopped perfect bodies, perfect faces, perfect young people having perfect lives. And I think that's actually a great thing because a lot of these platforms tend to create a, a, an illusion of of that just doesn't match the reality of most people's lives. So stay tuned with that. You can watch it and just be aware that young people often have a very distorted image of, of what they look like, who they are and what they do. And Facebook and to, kudos to them that Facebook and Instagram or the whole Facebook group have recognized this and are taking measures to stop it. And on that note, I'm afraid I have to leave you there. We'll be back next week with lots more gizmos, gadgets, news and updates. Till then, this is Stephen Ambrose on High FM for Tech Talk.